Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced last week Canadians will soon have a nationally standardized vaccine passport for international travel. The passports will be based on provincial data after provinces have already rolled out similar documents for use at things like restaurants and events. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Ryan Tumulty joins me to discuss why the feds opted to let the provinces continue with their own passports and when we can expect them to be fully rolled out. And we'll also get an update on the vaccine mandates for MPs hoping to return to the House of Commons. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Ryan, as vaccines rolled out in Canada over the last few months, there's been a lot of talk about how to manage tracking who's been vaccinated and, you know, how to uh, manage allowing people into events, things like that, in an effort to stem the spread of COVID-19 and hopefully finally end this pandemic while also allowing those people who've gotten vaccinated the freedom to kind of get back to living a normal life. And there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, are the provinces going to have to go this alone? Is the federal government going to oversee such a program? And we finally got a definitive answer. And this, I think, specifically relates to international travel. But the prime minister came out and rolled out his plans for a vaccine passport. And it kind of looks like what we're already seeing across the country. Can you break down for us what the prime minister announced? So what the prime minister did here, or what the, the federal government did here, and they looked at a bunch of different options. But what they ultimately decided on is rather than create a new federal document, they would just create a standard and have provinces meet that. And so provincial vaccine passports now have this stamp of approval that they meet the Canadian standard, which is important because it means that they can meet the international standard. It means that overseas, when Canadians travel, the vaccine passport that Ontario is issuing is going to be accepted when people hit customs and border checks and things like that. Trudeau had said the government had worked with the provinces to make sure there was a common standard. Why is it that they opted to go with just kind of saying, okay, this is the standard we want to see and you folks deal with it yourselves as opposed to creating a broad federal document? So what we've been told basically is that this was the simpler, easier, faster, and cheaper way to do this. And that's why they went this way. Basically, if you think about it, provinces across the country have been responsible for actually putting vaccines into arms. Mm -hmm. The federal government bought vaccines, you know, in big numbers here and shipped them out to the provinces. But the provinces were responsible for that last, you know, leg of delivery, if you will, of getting them into people. And that means that provinces hold the records of who they've vaccinated and who they haven't, of course. And so they have that data. And so the the feds were in a situation where they either had to ask the provinces to give them all that data so that they could create a whole new system and that Canadians would end up having, you know, two proof of vaccine documents or what they did, which was put a standard process on the provincial documents so that they could be accepted internationally. What information does this include? I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, security of information and how much personal data is out there, but obviously uh, something like this needs to have a bit of basic information about a person. Otherwise anyone could just show 
anybody else's documents. So what exactly is it that this international travel vaccine passport, this federal standard, what does it include in terms of your information? So it includes your name and whether you've received the two doses of a vaccine. And usually the provinces are including which vaccine you've received. Yeah. But that's it. It keeps the amount of personal information to an absolute minimum. What do people need to know? They need to know who you are and have you been vaccinated. And so that they can check that against a piece of ID. You know, they definitely wanted to keep these systems as low on personal data as possible. And the QR code that's on it is just basically a way to confirm the data that's written on it, correct? Exactly. The QR code that's written on it allows someone to check that this is a real proof of vaccination document, that you didn't just work it up in Photoshop and (laughs) pretend it was you. Yeah, I I wish my Photoshop skills were that good. Now, initially, you know, as Canada rolled out their vaccines, we brought in the AstraZeneca vaccine that was used predominantly in, in the United Kingdom's vaccine rollout, but wasn't used in the U.S. It wasn't approved in the U.S. And as the United States is one of the main travel destinations for Canadians, there was concern that, you know, we might not be allowed across the border if we got two doses of AstraZeneca or we got a combination of AstraZeneca and Moderna or Pfizer. So people were starting to worry about, you know, can I travel? Can I go to events south of the border? Things like that. What developments have there been on that front? Well, people, you know, like me who got a dose of AstraZeneca and then got a dose of Pfizer, will I be able to travel internationally with this and will it be accepted in places like the United States? You will. That was established uh, about two weeks ago. The CDC, the organization in the States, uh, that is sort of their public health organization, came out saying that, A, that they'll accept people who were immunized with AstraZeneca of course, which is a small number of people in Canada, but a huge number of people in other parts of the world, uh, especially the UK, Mm -hmm. and that they will accept mixed doses. You know, there's actually been some new research out that even suggests that the mixed doses are better than, you know, two doses of the same vaccine. But the important part is that the U.S. is accepting two mixed doses as a good move. As we said earlier, these are things that the province is rolling out. Some provinces had already rolled out their own vaccine passports with a QR code, without a QR code, and now there's a new federal standard to get international travel access, things like that. What provinces have signed on so far? The vaccine documents that are in place in Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland, as well as all three of the Northern Territories, already meet the standard that the federal government is setting. And the other provinces are all expected to meet it soon, so within the next month. I don't think actually any government, federal or provincial, was eager to create, you know, another brand new document, another new layer of bureaucracy, frankly. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a certain coming together on the idea that if we could just have one document, it'd be better for everybody. Now, one of the big sectors in Canada that was hit really hard by the pandemic was the travel sector. Airports were basically emptied for months. What does the airline industry think about this move? The airline industry actually really welcomed this move. And I think also because it came with a hopeful sign for them. So even though people have been traveling throughout the pandemic, but especially I would say over you know the last six months as people have gotten vaccinated, those travel numbers have creeped up. 
The official government advice has been for a long time not to travel anywhere, especially overseas, only for essential reasons should you be getting on a plane. Now, you know, not everyone listens to that advice, but it is the government's official advice, and it certainly has a chill on travel. And right after they made this vaccine passport announcement last week, they lifted that broad-sweeping travel advisory. So I think the airline industry, A, is pretty happy to have something that is a unified standard that they know is going to be accepted internationally. They're certainly encouraging the provinces that don't have their passports in place yet to, to speed that process up. But they were also really happy to see that travel advisory lifted because it says to Canadians, it's okay under the right circumstances to travel again. One piece of this is the fact that kids under the age of 12 are not yet eligible to be vaccinated. So obviously they can't be covered by a vaccine passport, but are they still able to travel? Can a family pack up and head south and then come back to Canada? What's the status of that? Yeah, they are able to travel. The difference for them is that they have to quarantine upon arrival. Now, that's not a full quarantine, but they can't go to school. They shouldn't be at large indoor crowded settings. You know, they're being asked to stay away from the sort of places where COVID would spread quite easily, like subways and trains and anything crowded. And they do have to take pre-entry tests, arrival tests, and DA tests. So that's a lot of testing for a family, for sure. They can travel. I don't think you're going to see a big surge in a return to youth travel until you can see young people vaccinated. Uh, of course, the good news on that front is that we are expecting at least one of the COVID vaccines to be approved for children, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah. Did Trudeau give any hints to that when that may come and how soon and how many doses we may see come into the country? Pfizer is the leading candidate here. They've submitted all the information that Health Canada requires to Health Canada for review. And you can remember from earlier in the year that Health Canada set up a process so that it moved pretty quickly on approvals uh, when it comes to vaccines uh, once it gets all the information from the companies. And Trudeau did say that we have struck a deal. He was a little vague, but he said we have struck a deal so that COVID vaccines for children will arrive in Canada very soon after they are approved for use here. Hmm. But he also stressed that, and I think this is important, we're expecting vaccine hesitancy, frankly, to be higher for children age 5 to 11 than it has been for the adult population. Parents are going to be making these decisions for their children, and they tend to be a little bit more hesitant than they might be when they're making decisions for themselves. So Trudeau really wanted to stress at the press conference the other day that Health Canada is taking its time with this, that they are making sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted when it comes to approving this vaccine. So I don't think it will move quite as quick as we've seen the adult doses, yeah. but I, I suspect we'll see your, your news on that soon. want to jump over to talk of another vaccine passport, this for federal politicians who want to go represent their constituents in the House of Commons. We're about four weeks out from when the House of Commons actually returns, but the talk of requiring MPs to be vaccinated before they can come sit in the House has been quite controversial, specifically for the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm just wondering, so for people who haven't been paying attention to that issue, like what's the debate around that? I understand it's not MPs who've said they need to be vaccinated. It's the Board of Internal Economy. And what is that board and, and what decisions is it responsible for? So the Board of Internal Economy is a internal to the House of Commons committee. 
MPs from all parties sit on it. It's broken down just like any other House of Commons committee. So there's, you know, proportional representation from the Liberals, from the Conservatives, the NDP and the Bloc. They all have members on that. Mm -hmm. That group voted to require vaccinations for anyone working on or entering the House of Commons. You know, if, if you work in an office and you have a health and safety committee, that's part of what the Board of Internal Economy does, but does it for the House of Commons. Yeah. They also usually deal with things like office budgets and even in recent years, questions over sexual misconduct and issues around discrimination. They are the House of Commons HR committee, really. And yeah, they took this vote. Uh, we don't know exactly how the vote went, but they took this vote to require vaccination. They've previously required masks to be worn in the House of Commons. So this is sort of in their purview to decide. And they made this call. The Liberals and the NDP and the Bloc all clearly favor it and have said so. It's less clear as to exactly how the Conservatives are going to respond to this ruling. During the election campaign, this was an issue for Aaron O'Toole as he was constantly questioned about, you know, what percentage of his candidates were vaccinated. And he always talked about, you know, it being a personal choice, but he encourages vaccination. Where is the party at now? Do we know how many of the conservative MPs have been vaccinated and whether it's like a, a large portion or like a tiny, tiny fraction? We don't know. I mean, it's certainly not by any stretch of the majority. The vast majority of conservative MPs are vaccinated and eventually have said so publicly, though they were reluctant to talk about it during the campaign. But we do know that most of them are vaccinated. As to how many might not be, we can really only sort of guess from public comments and from some of the rumor and speculation that's around the Hill. I think it's probably somewhere in the three to five MPs. Uh, might be as high as 10, but I think you're probably most people believe it to be somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five MPs. In that case, if it's just a small number, is O'Toole going to respect the rules around that? Will the conservatives say, okay, if I'm, you know, we're not going to put up a fight about this, my MPs who aren't vaccinated won't be here, or, or are they going to put up a fight about this rule? That's the part that's still unclear. So the party has been a little bit hard to read on this. So initially, when the, when the decision first came down, one of the party's officials said that they, they don't think it's a position that the Board of Internal Economy should be taking to essentially prevent MPs, which is sort of considered a very sacred right. Preventing MPs from sitting in the chamber shouldn't be something that's decided by a committee that meets largely in secret and only has seven or eight MPs on it. Mm-hmm. Mr. O'Toole was uh, speaking on a, a TV show here in Ontario earlier this week, and he said he would respect that decision. But then they also suggested that the Board of Internal Economy was overstepping its guidelines here and that it was this is something that should be decided by the full House. You know, that position is interesting because I really don't think a vote in the full House of Commons would be any different than what we saw on the Board of Internal Economy. The, the outcome would be the same. So Mr. O'Toole has been kind of vague about this. He hasn't brought a clarity to this about what he expects of his MPs who aren't vaccinated. Clearly, some of them aren't. And clearly, some of them are very uncomfortable with a vaccine mandate. So, you know, we're not really sure exactly how the Conservatives are going to handle this issue. I guess we have four weeks for them to figure it out. The Conservatives have said that they are absolutely opposed 
to any sort of hybrid parliament, which is what we were dealing with before. You know, with most members participating by Zoom or video conference, they've said they're very much against that. They don't want to see that continue. They want the House of Commons to come back in person as expected. And it, if if they hold fast to that line, they're in a weird balance here where they're they're demanding physical access to the House, but they are, you know, not willing to take the step of getting vaccinated. Does that rule apply to the whole House of Commons precinct or is it just the House? Like, can can they even come to Ottawa to sit in their office and deal with their staff and meet with other MPs if they're not vaccinated? It applies to the entire precinct. So, yeah, it's not just about the chamber. It's about the whole building. Well, I know that's something we'll be keeping a close eye on as we, you know, inch closer to the start of the next session of Parliament. Ryan, thanks for your time. No problem. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Tumulty. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.